it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? It is Sunday at 7.25 p.m. And the Buffalo Bills just improved a few hours ago to 10-3 and three on the season with a... It's interesting, Ryan. It's a 20-12 to 12 score, right? But it felt in a lot of ways, because of maybe most of all because of how the defense played, a dominant performance. I never felt like at any point in the game, the Bills were in real danger. And I think a lot of that had to do with what the Jets were doing offensively, what the Bills were doing defensively. We're going to get into all areas and angles of this team. But I think, you know, Josh Allen might have said it best. Like, listen, sometimes you got to win ugly in this league. And at 10-3, and sitting here, again, adding another win, that's a good place to be. And this is a great place to be after every Bills game because it's the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Enter for a chance to win one million bucks right now. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown. And you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long. Earn entries toward the one million dollar prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone to enter. I'm in the home studio because my wife took my son to his first Bills game today. Had a blast. Didn't make it all the way through. It was a little rainy out there. Um, so they had to go. They took the car. She had to come back and pick me up. So I just felt like it was better to just get a story done, come home. We could kind of get into the pod here. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. And Matt, I think you kind of nailed it on the head here in your intro. Uh, winning ugly takes place sometimes in this league. And it wasn't just the Bills today. Look around at the scoreboard. Uh, you had the Kansas City Chiefs getting quite the fight from the Denver Broncos, 34-28 final. You needed the Dallas Cowboys to score on their final possession to knock off the one win Houston Texans. Uh, currently on Fox, they switched over to a really close Seattle Seahawks-Carolina Panthers game where it appears the Panthers are going to hold on and win this one. So in this league, in the NFL, it's any given Sunday. You have upsets. You have close games. It doesn't matter how many wins you have. These other teams are going to come and give you their best shot. And once again, the Jets gave the Bills a pretty good shot on Sunday. This time, though, the Bills were able to end up with the win. So let's start off on Mike White, because I think going into this game, one of the things that we talk the most about is just – us believing that he was going to kind of put the ball in jeopardy a little bit, and that was going to kind of be his undoing. I think part of the reason this game was so close is that the the Jets didn't turn the ball over more. The Bills ended up winning the turnover battle two to zero on a pair of fumbles, one forced by DeMar Hamlin, which was a really nice play uh, on the running back. And then another force, Daquan Jones uh, recovered it. I believe was it um, 
was it Ed Oliver that forced it? Can't I'm thinking back to it now. Technically, technically, no one really forced it. It just slipped out of Flacco's hand when he reared right. back. I can't remember if it was Oliver Epineza that were in the range because Epineza was coming free on that play. Um, so it was going to be a pretty bad hit either way. But yeah, it just kind of came loose on that second instance. I'm sure the player closest will get credit for it, but really it was just a slip out of the hand. So the Bills flipped the, the script a little bit. The two ton- turnovers they had in the first game, the Jets protected the ball in uh, East Rutherford. This time around, the Bills take care of the ball at times, really struggling on offense. We'll get to that in a little while. But, you know, this defensive line to me is the story of this game. It's not a great Jets offensive line. It's one of the reasons I thought this was going to be a tough challenge for Mike White to come in here and have a lot of success. But I thought Mike White played actually better than I expected him to. Uh, he averaged uh, 6.1 yards per attempt, went 27 of 44, 61% completion rate, threw for 268 yards, and he got beat up. I mean, he he got sacked yeah. three times. One of the gotta-have-it performances of the season from Greg Rousseau, finishing with uh, two sacks in this game. Apanessa had a sack. Shaq Lawson had a sack. They had four uh, on the edge in a game where, you know, Von R- Miller, the first one after they ruled him out for the season, quarterback hits, they 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 added him up. Four, five, six, seven, eight quarterback hits of Mike White, knocking him out of the game two times. He left the stadium in an ambulance to just, you know, it was kind of a protocol to get checked out for some internal, uh, potential internal injuries. So we'll see where that story goes. But this was a defensive line that dominated this game today. And Jack Lawson said after the game, they knew going into the game, it was going to be the Bills sh- Defensive line against the strength of the Jets, their defensive line against the Bills offense. And I think the Bills D line outplayed them, you know, obviously with Quinn Williams going out late. Yeah, I I think the Bills D line won that battle in terms of which defensive line uh, stepped up more. Now, obviously, you mentioned it, Quinn and Williams going out of the game uh, with a calf injury loomed large. He was having his way early on the game, had a big sack where he beat Roger Saffold. But overall, uh, Buffalo's defensive line was the better of the two units, getting after Mike White, stopping the run a, a lot of the game and uh, to short or, mi- or minimal gains. You know, it, just like any team, they're going to give up some receptions, give up some longer runs. But overall, this defensive line came to play. And first game since we found out Von Miller's season was over, since he was put on, you know, he's already been on the IR, but we learned it's over. The ACL injury, they look pretty good without him. And again, it's one game. But Greg Rousseau was a force. Two sacks and a pass defense. A.J. Epinesa, good pressure. Uh, the pat, Batting that last pass down to seal the win for the team. Uh, I liked what I saw from Shaq Lawson. And then the inside of that defensive line, whether it was Daquan Jones, who made several big plays, Ed Oliver getting the pressure. Tim Settle had one. Uh, I think it was a run stop where he got right in there and blew up a play. They played extremely well, Matt. It, you know, and in terms of Mike White, Toughness can never get questioned. That guy took some serious shots today. You could make the argument that he outplayed Josh Allen in terms of some of the throws that he made down the field with that pressure in his face. Uh, Allen obviously had a lot of his receivers drop balls that uh, he put in their vicinity, so it wasn't all on Allen. But I thought Mike White, based on the conditions that he played in, based on the performance of the defensive line, really proved why these teammates love him so much why they're willing to go to war for him, as some of them have said going into this game and uh, talking about how he was a warrior after this game. So, you know, kudos to Mike White for proving me wrong to a certain extent. I didn't think he was going to come in here and play as well as he did. He had some high throws early, but protected the ball pretty well overall. There's a lot that goes into that conversation, and there's two players in particular that I think I want to kind of 
veer off here and maybe talk a little bit about, because I think there's a counter argument to your point about Allen, because in the end, Allen made the plays that Mike White couldn't to put his team over the top. You know, the touchdown pass that Dawson knocked and the rushing touchdown, you, the name of the game is scoring points. And when, when they got down there, Josh Allen found a way to score more points than Mike uh, Mike White was able to do. And some of the problems with this offense, there's there plenty of, to put it at Josh Allen's plate, you know, where he struggled maybe uh, in, in seeing the defense, getting the ball out. He was obviously under siege at times, especially in the first half. I thought the offensive line, you know, struggled early on. Spencer Brown had one play where he just absolutely got destroyed. And this is, you know, something that's becoming quite, uh, you know, the common refrain here with Spencer Brown as he continues to work through some second season struggles. The two players in particular that I thought had, uh, you know, um, an impact on this game, Isaiah McKenzie, who had a couple of drops in this game. I actually talked to him after the game about it. I'm going to be doing a story about it later today. And then on the other side, you, you talk about that narrative that, you know, built up over the course of this game. Josh Reed from Channel 4 put out a great stat um, uh, sometime during the game about, I think it was five third and longs that the Bills ended up uh, surrendering in this game. Two, at least two of those had Dane Jackson in coverage. The one was Corey Davis early on. Now they didn't go on to you know score on that drive. But the second one later on was that uh, Braxton Berrios 20-yard play down the field. And, you know, he's trying to make a play there. He's he's reacting. He's trying to cover some ground there. I'm not even sure if he started on him in the route. But at the catch point, I'm sure if you're a Bills fan watching him kind of struggle at times over the course of the last month, you want him to make a play there on the ball. We talk about Jackson, talk about McKenzie. I think it's still important to use some perspective. And I know in the moment there's so much like um, emotion involved in these plays, like reacting to all of these plays. But I think like when we talked to Sean McDermott after the, the game and, and maybe some of his shortness in his answers might have something to do with the fact that, you know, the Bills ended up, holding the Jets to 12 points and really their defense held them to 10 points, if not for that safety. So I think it's kind of more in line with, you know, going back a year ago to that Patriots game when they, they pretty much did everything in that game defensively to, to stifle the Patriots, except allow that big play. It's kind of what happened in this game. And they did enough more than enough to win the game. Yeah. You know, there's ups and downs every week. And with Isaiah McKenzie, he had stacked two games together going into this one. Uh, Disappointing. I think he ended up with a three for 21 stat line. The big play was that drop on third and two. He was open. Allen delivered an accurate ball, uh, something he needs to haul in because the Bills left points on the field there. They had to settle for a field goal. And as we saw, the game went down to the wire because of that. They scored a touchdown there, and and you're not having to worry necessarily about uh, having to put the game away late. With Dane Jackson, you mentioned he was beaten on a few third down and long plays, but to his credit, he had two pass breakups in, in the win. So, Ups and downs, ebbs and flows for these players. Uh, obviously, there are some questions as to why Xavier Xavier Rhodes was inactive, uh, why they're not giving Kyrie Lem any snaps or play. For whatever reason, though, Sean McDermott wants to have Dane Jackson out there opposite Trey White, and it might be something that he's earned over the, the last year, year and a half, uh, when he had to come in and step up when White went down with the ACL injury. Whatever it is, uh, it seems like Jackson has a, a long leash to work with, so to speak, because when there's those downs, he's still out there and he's getting those opportunities to kind of rebound and make up for it later in the game. Let's back up here into the decision, right? Like Because last week they wanted to take a look at Xavier Rhodes. 
they they got that look and they they went this week with Tredavious White obviously going in this game. They knew that he was most likely going to be out there for 100% of the snaps. So now you're talking about the second cornerback position and you put them all in a pot and you say, okay, Dane Jackson, this is his 19th start, 11th this season. No cornerback has played more snaps for the Bills this season than Dane Jackson. He's now entering a different role. He's moving from that CB1 role, which he was asked to play for the majority of the season, and now they're asking him to play cornerback too. He made some plays. What's funny is after the game, Jordan Boyer came out in his press conference and made a point, not even being asked about Jackson, but saying that he played a hell of a game. So I think that battling that you're seeing happening out there is something that, especially in the regular season, they're working through. I thought Tredavious White gave up a couple of receptions today that you probably you're going to put on that tape if you're Trey White and want want those plays back. The same as Dane Jackson's Jackson's going to want back. Has it all been perfect for Kyrie Elam? No, but I think you've seen some stats thrown out there over the last couple of weeks. I think PFF put something out about his stats since week uh, five in terms of not allowing uh, more than 35 yards as the nearest targeted cornerback or defensive back in a game uh, since that Chiefs game. And you're like, you're probably sitting there like, the Bills spent a first round draft pick on on him. And so I think one of the things that I want to talk to Sean more about and not have it be so much about the after the game, emotions running high. I'm sure there was a level of frustration for McDermott and Josh Allen after that game. This is a good Jets team. But to be a Super Bowl, you know, contender, favorite, however you want to, you know, categorize the Bills at this stage, you, you beat that team in your house and you beat them convincingly. And this was, you know, I, I think you make an argument like you made earlier in this in the show that they got outplayed in certain uh, areas of this game. And so there might be some frustration. I want to kind of dive into the, the Elam story a little bit more this week. And I guess I don't know. Where are you at with your level of disappointment that at this stage of the year, December football, a, a player that they drafted in the first round, first round is, is not even getting on the field in an important division game? Yeah, it's pretty high up there. This was supposed to be a player that was going to be an impact guy. And we know in the beginning of the year, they leaned to uh, Christian Benford over him because Benford had played in this type of system, the zone coverage. But when Elam was given opportunities, you mentioned him, Maddie. He made some plays. He made a great interception against the Chiefs. He had some good coverage on plays. Was he perfect? No, there were plenty of times where he was beaten on receptions and he had to come in and make tackles. But he showed to be a willing tackler something that was a knock against him coming out of Florida. It it just, something doesn't add up to me. Some weeks you have him as a healthy scratch inactive. this week. You have him as active. You don't play him. It's Dane Jackson, Trey white playing hundred percent of the snaps. And you mentioned it, you know, Trey white was beaten on some plays and that's to be expected. He's coming back from a serious injury. Uh, I had some people criticizing white on my timeline in game. And I said, listen, he's coming back from a, uh, injury that took him off the field for a year. You can't expect him to come back and play like the all pro uh, that he once was right out of the gate. It's going to come with time, regardless of his salary. Someone else pointed out, well, he's getting this much money. He's better figure it out fast. You can't just talk to your ACL and say, hey, let's figure this out, guy. I'm getting a, a, a pretty penny from this team. So Trey White's had his ups and downs since returning. We know about Dane Jackson. I called for him. Uh, to be benched a few weeks ago, and, and and there's just as many downs as there are ups with his game right now. The fact that you can't get your first-round pick onto the field for a handful of snaps, a dozen snaps, that's concerning to me, and it tells me there's something that we don't know. And will we ever find out? Probably not, because Sean McDermott is a master of saying a lot of words that mean nothing at all or don't add up to much. And uh, I don't want to get into it. He'll, you know, he'll protect the players from letting anything kind of leak out, but 
something doesn't add up here to me, Matt, at least me personally. To me, the most like sensical, logical explanation for this is there might be some lingering stuff with that ankle. Like I know he's been full in practice and he, and he's been available and he was active today. So you, you, you got to know that Dane Jackson and Trey white go down in that game. You're sending Kyrie Elam out, but I wonder if there's any bit of that that's baked into this. Maybe not. Maybe he's just being outplayed in practice the stuff that we're not seeing. And that's why Sean McDermott is going back to the guy that's just been out there for more snaps. And it's the same situation as with Levi Wallace all those years. Fans were banging the drum for any other option. I remember, I'm old enough to remember the the masses calling for Dane Jackson to replace Levi Wallace when Levi Wallace was still starting in this defense. So it's it's this, this thing that we just never really understand the rotation. I, the thing that was confusing to me today, even if you wanted Dane Jackson out there to be the starter, why not maybe just roll in Kyrie Elam for a few series? Although... You know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, they, they did that defense did play pretty well. And, you know, the players have faith and belief in Dane Jackson. And I don't know. We just don't we don't know enough of the story to really be able to effectively determine why it's not ha- happening. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think we're ever going to necessarily know, at least not this year, at least not in the near future. But it's frustrating, and it goes back to these high picks that you want to see more out of. James Cooks comes up, coming off of his best game of his career, arguably. Uh, only gets a, a few carries in this game, a few opportunities. The run game as a whole is kind of ignored. Uh, it, it's okay to question you know, the, the, this team when these young guys that are supposed to be making some sort of impact. And again, when you're one of the better teams in the league, you're drafted toward the end of the round. You're not sitting here saying that they should be these superstars, these guys that you're counting on uh, to make big plays like the Jets, who have been a terrible team. And, and they have a lot of these young guys, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, uh, they, you know, Brees Hall before he went down with the injury earlier this year, playing significant reps. The Bills roster is not at that spot, but you should at least be getting some reps from your first round pick. You should be trying to continue to utilize your second round pick and James Cook. Uh, you can look at Terrell Bernard, the third third round pick, and the lack of opportunities in play. And he struggled when he was out there. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, if you're a Bills fan and, and you're a little upset about your the, these high rookies not getting out of the field, it's understandable to me. It is. It's also understandable if you're a Bills fan sitting at home just smiling uh, gleefully, thinking about uh, all the plays that Greg Rousseau made today. Because, man, this is what they. You know, Sean McDermott was talking about this for weeks, even before Von Miller was declared out for the season. Like, listen, you were drafted where you were for a reason, whether you're Greg Rousseau, A.J. Appanessa or Boogie Basham, you know, show up and make plays and, and, and live up to that draft pick. I mean, Shaq Lawson even said it today. It's something, a message that he's been sending him to, to those other guys, those young guys. Shaq Lawson himself, a former first round pick. And I think that group as a whole on the edge, I thought Daquan Jones played great today. I thought Tim Settle had, had a couple of nice plays. Um, Brewer was in there a little bit. And obviously Ed Oliver had a monster game. Uh, that hit on Mike White mm. is going to be a Bill's highlight reel uh, addition to the 2022 season for a long time to come. But it was just, a really like a, it felt like a breakout performance from Greg Rousseau, who just seems we talked about it going in the show or to this game. He just seems like he's reached a new level of maturity, a belief in his ability uh, to get after the quarterback. He's already this elite run defender on the edge. But if you can now if you're now talking about like 10, 
13 sacks by the end of the season. You know, that is a massive year two jump and the kind of confidence builder in December, you know, leading into the playoffs, this team really needs. Yeah, you need this from uh, your younger players. And Greg Rousseau was a superstar today in terms of getting after the quarterback. It's what you wanted to see. It reminded me of how he played earlier this year, Matt. Uh, In those first few weeks where I think he had half a sack or more in the first three or four games of the season. Then he had the high ankle sprain, went out for a little bit. It wasn't quite the same. And now you're starting to see it again. You're starting to see those flashes, that great play. You know how he's solid against the run he you know that he can make these plays against the pass using the wingspan using a an improved pass rush arsenal so this is the step that the bills wanted to see from Rousseau it takes time for different players in terms of how long it takes Rousseau is on a promising trajectory because you know think of Ed Oliver and Ed Oliver different position on the D-line uh brought out top 10 pick Fans are expecting an immediate impact. And we talked about this on a previous episode. There was times where Jordan Phillips was starting over him as a rookie early on in his career, wasn't getting as many snaps. Um, It took some time for the light to come on for Oliver, but to to see the light coming on for Rousseau the way it is, to see A.J. Epinesa playing some meaningful reps now and making some plays, like I said, that pass defense, batting that ball down, sealed the game today for Buffalo. It's what you want to see, and it's what you hope you're going to see with a young guy like Boogie Basham, the more snaps that he gets. They have a solid rotation there right now with the veteran Shaq Lawson playing with uh, all of the confidence that uh, I can remember from his last stint. Definitely went on social media, spoke his mind today post-game, talking about how people were saying he was washed up and what's he doing now and he had a huge you know answer to that i don't know many people on social media that were saying that there were bills fans necessarily but even lawson's finding that motivation so it was a good first step they need russo and company though to continue to play at a high level here as the playoffs uh inch closer and closer if you want to shop at a high level bills mafia head over to tops friendly markets and they got the christmas bonus program going on right now and tis the season to save on groceries and all of your favorite holiday gifts. Christmas bonus uh, hooks you up. If you shop at Tops, you can save $10 at all of your other favorite stores and restaurants. With over 25 gift cards to choose from, there's something for everybody on your list. And don't forget to treat yourself to some extra savings too. Save on great gifts like toys and games from GameStop or Toys R Us at Macy's. Great family dining to Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Wings. That new big screen TV you want from Best Buy and so much more just by shopping at Tops. Be Santa's biggest little helper with Christmas bonus from Tops. And for a complete list of available gift card savings, visit topsmarkets.com slash Christmas bonus. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. 
Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, I've seen this talked about in the chat a little bit. Uh, Jerry Sullivan, uh, his question today at the Josh Allen press conference, it's been shared quite a bit on, on social media. Yeah. Uh, the, the specific line where he was asked, or he Jerry Sullivan basically asked, this doesn't, didn't ask, he said, this looks like, uh, doesn't look like a Super Bowl offense at this point. And Josh Allen just kind of sat there shaking his head and said, okay. And then it was on to the next question. Now that was part of a exchange between the two. Jerry actually had a, a, a question before that. And like, why was it so hard um, in this game for the offense to move? Uh, I think at one point in the answer, Josh said that you might not like, uh, I know that's not what you w- want to hear. And I don't know if Jerry was trying to follow up on that. I haven't talked to him about it, but yeah, like you never want to frame a, a question as a journalist like as a statement. Right. Right. But at the same time, you do want to, you know, get uh, the, the players thoughts on, on where these struggles are coming from. I mean, I'm seeing, I'm seeing it in the chat right now, like what is going on with this offense and for a big chunk of this game, they were unable to move the ball. I mean, across the board, Josh Allen blamed it on decision-making. So obviously kind of putting it on himself. There were a ton of penalties in this game. There was some breakdowns on the offensive line. I don't know if Deion Dawkins was hundred percent. He was uncharacteristically handsy uh, called for, I think three holding penalties in this play in this game. And then you add onto that, that when you do have everything go right at, at, in those two phases, what three, four drops, five drops in this game, depending on, yeah. you know, how those things get divvied up offensively they're just not clicking and i know that there's a great feeling among the uh there's a a, a deep feeling amongst the fan base right now of just be feeling not great about the job that ken dorsey is doing with this offense as it's kind of gone through this middle to now late portion of the season lull with execution it's been a while since they've had you know big production ryan if you go back well before we go back what what are your thoughts on what's ailing this offense and maybe your thoughts on the, the, the exchange between Sullivan and Allen? Well, it's a little bit of what Josh Allen and said post game. And it's also the fact that you're going against a, a Jets defense that is among the elite of the elite in the league. Uh, there's a reason why a few quarterbacks have thrown for over 250 yards against this unit. They have great play in the secondary. They're really strong up front. We saw that, especially when Quinn and Williams uh, was in this game. It's not easy to move the ball against a team like that. And then it goes down to some of the execution details. Deion Dawkins was really bad in this game. You mentioned it. Three holding penalties, two were accepted, one was declined. Uh, you had Roger Saffold whiff on one of those sacks that Quinn and Williams had in the game. You had Mitch Morse uh, fail to make a block on that Josh Allen design run late in the game where he pretty much tackled Allen uh, in terms of having Allen trip over him on the play. Spencer Brown was really up and down again. Uh, got away with some holds, in my opinion, in this matchup as well. And then Ryan Bates at one point was uh, out for a few series. So that didn't help matters. Five to seven drops by this offense doesn't help matters. Uh, so it, it was a lot of bad things kind of piling up. But at the end of the day, they were able to score 20 points on that Jets team. Allen was able to get in the end zone twice. Uh, once on a pass to Dawson Knox, once with his legs. And you said it, that was all the difference in the game. The Jets scored one rushing touchdown, and then they had to settle for uh, a field goal and a safety, and they really weren't able to do much else other than that. So the Bills still ended up making more plays when it mattered. It wasn't pretty. uh, But again, when you go against a defense like this, you're not going to necessarily be rattling off 400-plus yards and and 40 points. Our, Our score predictions were based on 
the Jets turning it over a lot in this game. They did turn it over twice, uh, but it wasn't as many times as we we thought either. We respected that Jets defense, and they came to play once again. 232 total yards of offense for the Bills. And if you go back through their entire season, I mean, how legit is this Jets uh, defense? First of all, today was the first time that the Bills had under 300 yards of total offense in a game all year. So, mm. you know, this this back half of the season right now, I think it's important to add some perspective, even as they've struggled. Look at some of these yardage totals, 369 against the Packers, 486 against the Vikings, 357 against the Browns, 401 against the Lions, 355 against the Patriots. So they've still been, uh, you know, above 350 for all of these other games, except for the Jets. Against the Jets uh, six weeks ago, 317 uh, total yards of offense. So the Jets have now in consecutive games in eight quarters held the Bills offense to their least amount of yards in the game. And I think part of that is, you know, sometimes this is a matchup driven league. They have really strong play at the cornerback position. I think Whitehead's playing really good at safety. They have two like it's almost like you're looking in the mirror when you look at their linebackers with the way that C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams can dominate games. And so I think you 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 add in just how disruptive they are with their front. And it's it's a puzzle that the Bills haven't been able to solve yet. Now, if I'm the Bills, if I'm Dorsey, if I'm Josh Allen, the competitors that they are, I know a lot of people were talking about, oh man, maybe if the Bills face them in the playoffs, I wouldn't want to see them. I'm the complete opposite. I'd love to see if this defense can kind of hold up and continue this in the playoffs. And really, I don't see a quarterback solution that could ch- flip things unless the Bills are down a bunch of players. I mean, if Milano's on the field, Poyer's on the field, if they have the four defensive ends that they have now and you know those three defensive tackles, you had Jordan Phillips back into the mix, I don't see any path to changing the script offensively for the Jets in a rematch in the playoffs. They're a really good – they've constructed a really nice, solid roster with a lot of really good and potentially elite players at a couple positions. But I just – if you don't have the quarterback, you don't have enough. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say, and I'm sure you saw, but Robert Salah kind of guaranteeing a rematch in the playoffs between these two I like teams. those. I, listen, I like I that, like the though, Moxie. I do. I do. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's a good chance they sneak into the playoffs as that seventh seed. Uh, you look at some of the competitors. You have New England in the mix. You have the Chargers still in the mix. I thought the Raiders were on their way to being in that mix, and then they drop a, a head-scratcher themselves. So, the AFC is wide open in terms of those last few, that last wild card spot or two. So the Jets could make it in. And with that defense, they get a few turnovers. They could be a nightmare for the Bills or any team. But you said it. Look at these other teams that are going to be in the playoffs. You obviously have the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Miami is trending in the right direction to make the playoffs, and Tua is playing at an elite level. The Cincinnati Bengals, we know how good Joe Burrow is, leading them to the Super Bowl last year playing. Excellent football right now. Baltimore likely makes it, and, and Lamar would, Jackson should be back in, in the play, time for the playoffs, you would think. Uh, not necessarily in that same tier in terms of a passer, but as a threat, as an athlete, someone that is really going to be tough to beat. So with all of that good quarterback play that you could potentially go against, yes, I would much rather see Mike White and, and a or a Zach Wilson or a Joe Flacco-led Jets team uh, come in because you know you're going to be able to limit them. 
Yeah. And uh, super chat here. We always thankful for supporting the show with a little uh, little coin thrown shouts way. Will feel and Josh Allen is looking like Kenny Pickett out there. What is going on with this offense? Love you guys in your show. It makes me very happy. Well, we you make us very happy because mm-hmm. you tune in even without the super chat. I don't care you know, if you throw money or not. Just if you're in the in the comments, you're you're watching live, you're listening on all the audio platforms. We appreciate you. For sure. And yeah, it's just more of what we're talking about. They're working through some things. I I think there was always the chance peeling this thing back even more back to the summer. Of course, you love the continuity of Ken Dorsey being with Josh Allen for three years, then basically keeping the same playbook, the same scheme, everything kind of like, you know, uh, pushing it forward into 2022 with all the success they've had over the last couple of years. You love all that, but there's going to be periods during the season where things aren't going their way and they got to figure out a way to adjust. And I thought that they did for a few series there. There were a couple plays where they didn't make enough plays. I thought that it was a really creative play call on fourth and one. And I, I don't think Sean McDermott would have uh, answered uh, honestly, but honestly, if that doesn't work, if they're not able to draw them off sides there, I don't know if they go for that. And then maybe are we talking about a different game because you don't make that play. So those little things, like for as much as you want to maybe criticize Ken Dorsey and some of it's been very warranted. I think at times today, you look at this game with the success that they've had offensively, figuring out a way to be balanced over the past month and a half to have eight carries today for Devin Singletary and only four for James Cook in a game where you were, you've been able to run the ball and there's, there's, Eight of the 12 teams or 13 teams, whatever it ends up being, that the Jets have played this season have rushed for over 100 yards in the game against them. And today the Bills, you know, uh, did get over 100, but barely at 102. Eight teams had more than that this season against the Jets. And so I just think that you, you wanted more from Ken Dorsey. I, I understand that. And I, and I think that that's a fair criticism of this team. But I also think. You know, some of the little things like, you know, the difference, you know, the things that led into the difference in the game. That was one of those plays. Yeah, listen, you can criticize some of Ken Dorsey's play calls, uh, but he's not the one putting them in first and 20 or second and 20 situations with the holding calls. Uh, He's not out there throwing the ball or catching the ball. He, He had a schemed up Isaiah McKenzie open on that third and two play that Isaiah McKenzie dropped. Uh, He had John Brown running with a a few step lead on sauce Gardner deep on one play that Allen just under threw a little bit. There was some good things that he did as well. The, the touchdown pass to Knox that he called uh, the Knox play where on the fourth down, he brought him under the huddle and had CJ Mosley jump offside. They were uh, pretty convinced at least Mosley was that Knox was going to take that snap and try to do something. So you have to give him credit for some of the things that worked. You have you, it's fair to criticize him for, not utilizing the run game in this wintry mix, trying to get them going a little bit more. Uh, but you can't criticize them for the penalties, the drops, the other issues that this team has had in this game, uh, because that comes down to the personnel and the play on the field. Good comment here. I'll, I'll, I'll cycle through a couple of these before we get to our value toolsy players of the game, because we got a couple of those to get to. Um, the Bills won on a day where it was cold, wet, wintry mix, lots of drop balls. It was miserable conditions to play in, yet they got the dub. Number one seed, 10-3 and three in the conference, 2-2 two and two in the division. And listen, Carl, I think that's important perspective. It's why we started the show the way that we did. It's not all going to be perfect, and you're going to have to work your way through things. You, you hope you go through enough challenges where defenses you know, put your offense in bad spots that you have more answers than 
there are questions at the end of playoff games. And these kinds of things are the stuff that you can go back to the drawing board and figure out ways to scheme this thing up a little bit better and figure out ways to get, you know, better. I, I saw another comment in here. Use James Cook more. What happened this game? Where is Gabe Davis? Such disappointing production in most games so far. And, you know, Davis, Josh Allen said after the game, like, yeah, he's been really great in the run game. He's been great as a blocker. But yeah, I think fans saw those big explode that big explosive game in Kansas City and thought that that was what was on the way this year. Yeah, man. I think he had a 17 yard catch along the sidelines. Uh, at one of those points, I, I think that he, he makes plays as a blocker. He does some good things, but expectations for him were through the roof after a four touchdown performance in the playoffs against the Chiefs. Um, and, and he hasn't been able to meet those for a ver- variety of reasons. I think that obviously some of the game planning uh, has come with stopping him, knowing that they're going to move digs around a lot. Uh, they had DJ Reed, they had Sauce Gardner on him in this game specifically. So that's a tough matchup. Teams know who Gabe Davis is now after that playoff game against the Chiefs. They know that he's a big play threat. Uh, and yes, I'm also smiling. Uh, we got some comic relief here for the show. We, we do, yeah. Uh, I can, we appreciate I can the super you. chat. Chaffee, yes. uh, Chaz F2, watch 499. Super chat. Thank you, my friend. But but, but are we serious here? What, what do mm-hmm. we think about the rumors of us looking at Gar- Jared Goff this offseason? Maybe Josh Allen and for Goff and a first may need to draft a running back. <laughs> I think Chaz just started that rumor right now. Yeah. Right on shout uh, because there's nothing to that whatsoever. <laughs> it's uh, pretty stunning that the Lions are, you know, according to a report today that, that they're not considering Goff to be a bridge to anybody. Uh, I'll believe that when I see it come draft time, if the right quarterback falls into their laps, uh, which will be harder because they're, they're playing good football. They're winning some of these games now, which is important for a young team. But if the right quarterback comes along, I think they're not going to give any second uh, thought to moving on from Goff. But no, in terms of that uh, super chat, no, uh, don't put any stock into that. Wherever you heard that rumor, I would uh, never go to that website again or delete whatever Twitter handle you found that on. I don't know. But no, nothing to that whatsoever. No. And I uh, listen, Josh, I think if you're a Bills fan watching the last seven or eight weeks, you you want more from your franchise quarterback. I get it. Like it and 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 he should be criticized for, you know, especially the turnovers early on. But I think the most important thing in a game like today, in a weather game like this, and one where it's close and your defense is playing so well, you want to make plays, but he made a couple of them. I mean, the Knox touchdown was one, the touchdown run was one. You want a couple more. He didn't make any big mistakes he didn't turn the ball over that's what you needed in this game and sometimes you know without a dome in buffalo when you have the elements to deal with there's going to be games when you got to just deal with this Mm. you brought it up matt the dome Ah, is it too late to revisit this buffalo i get it the wintry mix is supposed to favor the, the bills but man oh man that first half was brutal 10 punts to kick off this game 10 i guess if you love old school defensive football and sloppy play it was up your alley uh the bills did win so i guess that goes to the elements favoring the bills but i think anyone that watched that game would say that buffalo's offense had their fair fair share of struggles in this weather too i'm hoping at least this new stadium coming in 2026 there's the potential to eventually add something out if they decide to because it'll, it'll be a shame if the bills maybe lose some of these games that they could definitely put away win if it was in better elements, better weather uh, where I think that today was a game that they 
the weather allowed the Jets to stay in it longer than they should have. Boop, 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 boop. Breaking news. Super chat. Jared Goff, fresh off a big dub against what, what the is Vikings, is breaking into the shout Buffalo Bills football pack, podcast to make sure everybody knows, bro, I uh-huh. do not want to get traded here. So obviously Jared Goff is happy in Detroit and he doesn't want to go anywhere. So leave him alone. Uh, Chaffee or whatever your name was a little bit, a little Chaz. while ago. Okay. Chaz. Chaz, I'm sorry. I'm guessing Chaz just very quickly created a new account and gave us another super chat. So again, Chaz, thank you for the donation. Thank you for the super chat. We are, we are off the rails here. All this Jared Goff talk. I was not yeah. banking on any Jared Goff talk. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening tonight. on audio. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> make sure you understand that these are all super chats that are coming in on YouTube. They're just, somebody's having a little fun here. Mm-hmm. There's none of this stuff is true. There's no rumors about Jared Goff trades or anything like that. Anyway, Chappie says, don't blame me for that foolishness. Respect. All right, let's go to the next segment of the show, which is the value home centers toolsy player of the game right now you can head over to value home centers check out their weekly ad they still got tons of deals i know we're past black friday i know we're past cyber monday but man do they got deals for you they put out a new ad every week and you text value v-a-l-u to 80692 signs you up for their text program you start receiving uh saving even more receive exclusive coupons weekly deals and so much more uh value toolsy player of the game ryan talbot you got yeah, shockingly, I'm going away from the Bills' defensive line. There were a few players I was considering there. I'm going Matt Milano. He just filled the stat sheet, Matt. Nine total tackles, one tackle for loss, a fumble recovery, two passes defense, a quarterback hit that literally folded Mike White in half. Picture-perfect spear. The guy was everywhere. The guy makes plays week in, week out. He was inactive in their first matchup. Uh, and you know, there's some questions about whether he's going to play today, and you saw the importance of Matt Milano on the field from that linebacker position. He was flying around, uh, outstanding game for Matt Milano. Really hope that he gets some all-pro consideration at the end of the year. That's how good I think he's been this year, Matt. What about you? Um, I'm going to give my toolsy player of the game, uh, but I got to bring the Sarah Christine point up because I think it's such a, a, a yes. poignant one. Everyone is complaining, but at this point last season, weren't the Bills seven and six? They were. They got blown out by the Colts. We had some bad losses, but have e- have easily won. Could have easily won any of them. Here's something to this. Um, first and foremost, I totally think that um, Sarah's on point here with this take. The Bills have found ways to win, and when they've lost, they've been one-score games. And the point differential right now is insane for the Bills. 132, and now uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are finally um, to 138, but the Eagles are 12-1, and and they just look like an absolute wagon. All of a sudden, I mean, that offense is running through teams. Jalen Hurts looks like 2020 Josh Allen. It is a whole new world for the Philadelphia Eagles, and that defense is really good. They've been adding players. They're going to be a beast of a team in the playoffs. But if you want to talk about a 10-3 and Bills team that is number one in the AFC, number one in the AFC East, and a chance to maybe even go up two games if something crazy happens in L.A. tonight, 132 point differential the tops in the league outside of philadelphia and con- convincingly tops in the afc you know they're the the, the 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 cream of the crop of the of the conference and sometimes it's important to remember those things when they've won they've won big they've won some close games they've answered that question as well this year at times um and and they're in a good spot they're, they they control everything down the stretch with two really tough games 
and then two other games that that they should win. I mean, everything's within their control. Yeah, a great point by Christine. Ten and three is uh, obviously better than seven and six one year ago. It hasn't always been pretty. They've won a lot of close games this year, which was actually a knock on them at one point that they couldn't win the close games. So if anything, you would think that this would be a good thing for them going in, into the playoffs, which is, is a virtual lock at this point with 10 wins on the year. It's just interesting to see how a, a fan base evolves with their mindset. And I get it because at one point for many, many years, the Bills weren't ever a Super, uh, Super Bowl contender. They were in the hunt. They were in that graphic until late December, and then they weren't in the, the playoffs whatsoever. Then Sean McDermott comes along. They build this thing the right way with Brandon Bean. And now expectations are through the roof to the point where the Bills are sitting at 10-3. and three. They have three losses this year that, it, as in a total, are, were by less than 10 points. And we're sitting here wondering what's wrong with them. It, it, it's funny to think of it in that way. Uh, but that's where we are as, as a, you know, as guys covering the team, as a fan base. It, it's not a bad thing to be a Bills fan or covering this team because that, there'd be a lot of people that would want to cover a 10-3 and three team or want to be supporting a team that's 10-3 and three at this point. Uh, my toolsy player of the game, uh, it's tough to give it to anybody on offense, but I'm going to change the game up a little bit. We've been talking a lot about this defense, the dominant performance from that front. Edmonds uh, and, and Milano were both really excellent. Milano, uh, a great pick for that award. I'm going to go Dawson Knox because he's been somebody that, you know, we've been we've been clamoring for a breakout game. And I don't know if we've actually categorized a four catch game, although that touchdown was pretty spectacular as a you know, a breakout game necessarily, but it's one where the Bills needed somebody to step up. You know, obviously Stefan Diggs was tough sledding out there. You know, whether it was Reed, whether it was Gardner, they did a really good job putting the clamps on Diggs in this game. At one point, I think he came out, and I don't know if he was banged up. Uh, somebody put out a video on that, and uh, I, I do believe he finished the game, but that'd be something to track. But, you know, Knox with two game-changing plays. You know, there's been times when Knox has made a catch like he did at about the seven yard line and not, not be able to do enough to get it into the end zone. And then who knows with that, with how good they are uh, against in the red zone and, you know, defensively as a whole, they come up with stop there, hold you to a field goal, you know, it just changes the complexion of the game. And then obviously the fourth down play, if that doesn't happen, who knows, maybe they don't even go down and score on that drive. So uh, I'm going to read the quote actually from Knox because I thought it was fun. That might have been one of my favorite plays ever in the league, just to get under center, throw back to my high school days. Just, But it's just uh, a great scheme by Dorsey, showing me going in motion and getting out into the center real quick. The defense is thinking for sure, quarterback sneak, tight end sneak, whatever you want to call it. So get up under there, give him a second, give a loud cadence. And I got CJ Mosley flying over like Troy Palomalo. So that was fun uh, play to get a first down. So I just thought, you know, Dawson Knox stepped up in this game. They needed that. Uh, so I'll give him the toolsy player of the game with uh, pulling out a little trickery. Yeah, that's a great choice because, like you mentioned, kept that drive alive, scored a touchdown, uh, somersaulting into the end zone on that play at the end. Uh, nothing wrong with that. And we mentioned all the defensive players. You can make a case for Sam Martin. I know he had one punt block, but he had some uh, great punts in this game. Tyler Bass was fantastic as usual. Naheem Hines, phenomenal as a return man again, proving that uh, the Bills made a wise choice trading for him, still want to see more from him offensively. So there were a lot of directions we could have gone in this game, uh, but Dawson Knox is a great choice. Uh, are the Jared cough to Buffalo rumors true? Adam Schefter now beeping in with a super chat into the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Listen, it's big time. When you get ESPN's own Adam Schefter, not only tuning in, but you know throwing us 199 to make sure that uh, we didn't scoop him on Jared Goff to Buffalo. Again, this is all fake. If you're listening, <laughs> 
somebody's having fun in the comments. But listen, ten dollars is ten dollars, and you know yeah. if they want to start a, a false narrative on Jared Goff. Uh, throw uh, NY up some some some, uh, some Skrilla. I'm all for it. Oh, another super chat here. Thank you, Carl. This time last year, Ryan Bates took over for Ike Butker, and Devin started running really well, and the offense took off. Maybe we could do it again in reverse with Ike. You know, Butker's happy to be back out there uh, practicing with the team. Who knows what that timeline is like? I think that Devin Singletary has been running the ball fairly well this season with the the line as is. It's just a matter of opportunities and carries personally. What about you, Matt? No, I think it's interesting. I It's great to see Ike out, back out of practice. I don't know if he's, you know, z- zeroing in on a full-time return just quite yet. I think it's got to be uh, – yeah, I did, Elliot. I just said some Skrilla. Just threw that at you. Just, you know, every once in a while, I got to throw you guys a curveball. It can't be all, you know, status quo all the time. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe as well. We're cruising AK. But no, I I think getting back into some type of situation and being valuable depth for this team down the stretch is it's great. He's played a lot of important snaps for the Bills over the last couple of seasons when they've needed him. I don't necessarily think that Ike coming off of the surgeries or the surgery that he had, the injury that he had is going to be somebody that you're relying on down the stretch. But I think having him available to play snaps, if it's in a rotational role, if it's in as a depth role, I think that's really nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. Getting any kind of quality depth along the offensive line uh, late in the season is going to be an added benefit for this team. So we'll kind of wait and see on that. But uh, I think offensive line is definitely an area that this team needs to address in the offseason via draft, free agency, whatever the case may be. I think in an ideal world, Spencer Brown becomes your swing tackle. You you upgrade at one spot. You can upgrade on the interior. Protecting Josh Allen, making sure that he can make those plays against good defenses like a team like the Jets is so important. Uh, but they need to be better up front. So hopefully in the case of this year, Butker can come in and contribute to a certain extent. And the Bills have a good plan going forward in 2023 and beyond. If you don't have a good plan going forward, then get one by heading over to Tops in the Carry Out Cafe because they're going to hook you up for game day, your tailgating spread, or maybe just a little little din-din, a little breakfast during the week, a little lunch. Wrap it up. Take it with you to work. Hot to go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizza, $14. Jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14. The legendary breakfast pizza, a large is 20 bucks. Pizza or taco log, 6 count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections. $5.99 a pound, sub sandwiches, wraps, app sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. We'll be back on Wednesday night. It is shout on a short week. Saturday night football. It's gonna be fun. What's the deal, Ryan? You coming up for that, by the way? I was actually Let's considering it. We'll, we'll we'll chat this week. We'll see what we can do. We'll chat. Yeah. I, I like that. I like when we have a little chat about uh, upcoming plans. We'll see if we can't bring you a little live from Highmark. Ryan and Matt in person pod next Saturday. We'll see. But before then, join us on Wednesday. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Take care. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.